0: the imposterous. The imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure creative frauds who will be exploring the motivating and sometimes debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it.
1: Great. So thank you for the opportunity. My name is John Coy, and I'm the Regional Executive Creative Director at Edelman, and I'm here to introduce someone who I'm very proud of, uh, and her name is Elaine Lee. Now, I've had the pleasure of knowing Elaine since 2014 uh, when she was in the studio at Ogilvy, Hong Kong as a young designer. And back then, you know, uh, someone said to me, hey, look, you know, this is fantastic creative, and she wants to be, um, you know, part of your creative team. And I go, okay, well, where is she? And uh, this colleague just pointed out the window and she was actually on the rooftop of the site of a skyscraper in the adjacent building. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I don't know uh, many of you who know, uh, she's also an Instagrammer, photographer, who likes like climbing up onto the world's tallest skyscrapers in sewers uh, and in uh, subway tunnels, uh, illegal places. So she's a real deal. She's not afraid to go there. And now, you know, seeing her grow from a young designer to now as a creative director in Halton and Company, I couldn't be more pr- prouder of her uh, achievements, especially in the uh, recent awards run. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, secretly, I'm glad she's in Australia so she doesn't drag me to uh, rooftops anymore. So thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy her podcast.
0: we went through the wormhole into a different dimension that one <laughs> <laughs> i'm
2: glad i hit record was I I've, never,
0: I've never i've never expect, it was it was our hotel and it was like one in the morning we didn't it was like oh everything looks shut this is rubbish and then next to the hotel where there was like a, you know the staircases that go up into the shop lot and you could hear very faintly sort of a <laughs> <laughs> we were like I wonder what that is but it was so quiet and then we, we went up this stairway and it got louder and louder and louder and then and then we went <laughs> and then it got really loud and we sort of like went past these sort of very young beautiful but slightly robotic looking people went through this sort of like soundproof curtain and it was like the matrix or something. <laughs> That, that, yeah, yeah, this pitch, right? You know how when you're doing a pitch, it's all off mess 12 hours before submission, and then it yeah. all suddenly surreptitiously comes together. And I wasn't even I, was I was only there till sort of like, hello.
3: Hello, oh. how are you? Hi, Lane. Good, good, good. How are you?
0: Really good. I was just speaking to the guys, and we've just um submitted a pitch this morning, and you know wow. how mental it is the day before, and then overnight this sort of magic happens where it all sort of comes together and then you look yeah. back and go, oh, thank God. So on
3: minimal That's sleep amazing. early
0: in the morning, yeah. did you win? Do you win? Do you think you looked at it and you thought, yes, we win this? We win with a chance. Like, you know, you never know, right? <laughs> Have you ever
2: cried in a pitch, Elaine? Have you ever presented on minimal sleep, emotional about the work and cried?
3: Uh, I don't think I've cried in front of the clients, but probably like right after where it's like <laughs> when it's all over and then you kind of like you know, that adrenaline rush is like gone. Yes. And then you're like, oh my God, what just happened?
2: Hey, thanks for joining us on The Imposterous, Elaine.
3: No, thank um, you for having me.
2: I'm glad we could finally, finally get to talk. I was, um I was saying to Graham and Andrew that we met kind of fleetingly across an office um, in, yes. in Hong Kong. You were shooting a job for Hong Kong tourism board.
3: Yeah.
2: And at the time we were looking for um, a very unique photographer who had a you know, a deep understanding um, of the city itself, because we were starting to, and you'll recall, we were starting to advertise it as um, like a collection of districts. Mm. And I wanted okay. to talk to you about photography, yep, and how, as a um, creative, it might give you another place to go as a yep. to get a break from, <laughs> as we were just talking about the the pitching, the briefs, the ideas, and the feedback, and and what it means to you to to have another creative outlet.
3: Totally. Um, so I've, photography has always been a part of my life. I've been taking photos since I was like 12. Um, so it's it's kind of always been a creative outlet. And I think it's kind of been extra important ever, ever since I joined the advertising industry to have that kind of creative outlet because it's something, it's a hobby, right? So I don't have clients. I don't have, you know, briefs to answer. It basically me and my camera and I'm just shooting whatever I like. And I've been really lucky to be able to do that, share photos on Instagram and eventually actually do get clients and briefs, but they approach me because they like my style of work rather than I have to shoot a certain way for them. Um, Mm. So it's just, it's really, really nice. And I think, I think working in advertising, you can easily kind of fall into like, Oh, You know, we're constantly battling like, oh, this is what the client wants, but this is what the creative wants. Like, and then where do we meet in the middle? Whereas with something like photography, I'm kind of able to have a bit more um, creative control, I suppose. Um, So it's kind of a nice balance. And like you said, Michael, you know, these two worlds do cross paths, kind of like how we met. Uh, And I think that the two things kind of benefit each other. Right. Because I've learned so much in advertising in terms of how do I sell to clients and how do I kind of package my work in a certain way? How do I deal with, you know, client feedback and how do I do invoices and all that kind of stuff, which applies to my so-called influencer role and kind of help me stand out amongst the other um, people who also have a, um interest in photography, but might not have that kind of uh, skill set from beforehand. So yeah it's, it's it's
2: been really good i've been really lucky elaine's photography captures the spirit of the places she travels in captivating images that span urban exploration and portraits an award-winning photographer who regularly treats her instagram following to unique views of well-known places around the world she also channels her influence for good initiating the Instagrams for Nepal Art Exhibition to raise funds for Nepal after the 2016 earthquake.
0: You answered my first question, which was all about the dynamic between being a creative and being an artist, which I think is really interesting because as an advertising creative, so much of it is about negotiation and compromise. But as an artist, mm-hmm. you're, kind of, you're coming at it from a different place and you kind of answered that question. But the thing that I was curious about was about how the two things... Um, affects your perception within the agency and with the clients as well, because it's like, you're not just a creative, you've got this other thing, which gives you a big load of credibility. And does it help or is it kind of, (laughs) are you in the agency? Does everyone like, go? Oh, let's ask Elaine. She knows pictures.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because like, it helps in a way where it's almost like a little, Show offy thing that mm. like creative directors or ECDs can just like drop in front of the client. Like, simply because I have quite a few following on Instagram, they're like, oh, we've got a soldier genius. And you know, like the past few years, we've kind of been living in a world where, like, you know, bigger agencies, everyone's kind of desperate to look, you know, look like um, they're kind of keeping up with the time. So anything social media related, they're just like, like, we can do this. And so that that definitely helped me in the kind of industry sense where it's like my partner and I end up getting quite a few like social briefs because we're, you know, young, but also because of my, I guess, like Instagram status. So it, it definitely benefits each other.
2: And if we talk about that Instagram status, which you're humbly kind of tiptoeing around, you have 260,000 followers and anyone who's followed the imposterous knows that we celebrated hitting hundred and you know, we haven't celebrated hitting 312 yet because yeah, that just doesn't up, seem to dry on that, one. <laughs> that just doesn't seem quite right. And I guess you have more followers than all of your clients put together, which I guess <laughs> is a, a piece of a fact that could find its way into a pitch book. But is it as much fun having an audience of that size? Is there some pressure now that comes? And and that's just not a new thing, right? I'm not saying mm. that number is new because you've had that number for, for mm. some time, but is there is there pressure?
3: Oh, definitely. For that audience. When I first started Instagram, they started just purely because I like taking photos and I just want to share with people. And then over the time, it's kind of become almost like there's more responsibility in a weird way because it's like, okay, you've got these people following you and they follow you because they like the photos that they see. And gradually you kind of give yourself pressure where it's like, okay, these photos have to be better than what they've seen before the quality has to be maintained in a certain way. And so it's not as much, I'm just going to post whatever I want. It's almost like the audience is a client now, you know, like it's like, I have to kind of consider what people want to see as well. And what might actually help me maintain that sort of like engagement and audience and all that kind of stuff. So that does come into play. I try not to let it affect the way I post things, but I've definitely posted a lot less simply because I'm like, Oh, this photo is not good enough. Like, this is not like maybe five years ago I would have posted this but not anymore because I guess your standard also like changes I suppose so yeah that long story short there is definitely that kind of pressure
1: getting
3: set to release its latest. iPhone
1: 13. iPhone 13. My new phone is just going through the process of getting everything transferred over. I have no idea how long this data transfer is going to take. Do I just sit here and watch it? Introducing the Book of Limbo, an offline online wormhole designed to keep you entertained while stranded between phones. Over 100 pages of unique art created with 3D, photography, digital illustrations, and GAN technology. Like a real internet wormhole, each page linked to the next. From screaming goat memes, to the goat, to Space Jam. From facts about whale poop, to whale milk, to the Milky Way. Vampire squids linked to ancient vampires, which led to ancient soap. It even included the entirety of Alice in Wonderland.
0: Now we're talking a lot about Hong Kong, because you you and Michael met in Hong Kong, you shot Hong Kong, Hong Kong itself. Globally, is kind of unique because it's this weird kind of collision of cultures and how you see it could only come from someone who's born and raised there. And as someone who's moved around a lot, traveled a lot, and um, a lot of what we talk about in the apostrophe is this sense of belonging and do I belong here? Do I belong there? Mm. Is Hong Kong the one place where you're totally comfortable or has traveling means that you've learned the skills that actually you can make yourself comfortable anywhere now?
3: I don't. (laughs) I don't think I'm ever comfortable anywhere apart from Hong Kong. Like honestly, like people say, there's no place like home, right? And and I used to think it's such a cliche thing to say, but it's so true because it is the place I grew up in. It is a place that I'm super familiar with. It's like I can walk around in Hong Kong without knowing that people are not going to judge me because of the way I look or because of the way, you know, like because of my race, for example. Um, where I say whenever I travel or say when I'm living in Australia, there's always that kind of barrier almost where I'm like, even though I've lived here a couple of years, I still feel like a foreigner. Like I still don't feel like I'm part of the culture, um, necessarily. Uh, so yeah, like Hong Kong is the one place that I feel like I truly belong. But having said that, I still love putting myself in, Places where I'm just not completely comfortable with, because I feel like that's kind of one way to kind of open your world and you know just experience different things, and that's kind of part of the thrill, even though it might make me uncomfortable sometimes. I'm sure you guys feel the same way, kind of like living in a bunch of different countries and cities as well, right?
0: Yes, I mean i I have a I have an interesting perspective on that because I mean i I grew up in London, had my career in London, and then came out to Asia. one of the interesting things I observed, so I mean, I had a massive imposterous moment from moving over, also going from CD to ECD, and a whole new age is the whole new age, I go, what the hell is this? But one of the, the things that I found really difficult and fascinating was the way that creatives were in the, broadly here, in that their confidence and their sense of ambition was much more muted than what I was used to. Mm.
3: And I found it mm.
0: really difficult to kind of to wrangle around, because I guess... Sitting on a mountain of privilege in in London, people are pretty confident and very outward with their ambition. We're in Asia; mm. it's a lot more humble, I find. And then and then that dynamic within the creative industry is kind of difficult and interesting because you have to fight for your ideas, but then you've got this upbringing of being humble, and there, there's mm. a real tension there. There's a because mm. I'd be like, guys be proud of your ideas. This stuff is great. And they're like, Oh, I know, but you know, And no, 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 it's really good. Oh my it's God. Just, it's um, it's something that, you know, I continue, I've got, I've learned to sort of manage people differently because it's yeah. not the quality of their talent. It's just how they mm. perceive their talent is very, very yeah. different. I wonder if, you know, if you experienced a similar sort of thing.
3: Oh my God. It's exactly the same thing. Like, as you're saying that, I'm just like, that's exactly how I was like, if we had this podcast recording about like five years ago, I would not be able to kind of speak as confidently as I am speaking now, even though I'm still, you know, just trying to hide my insecurity (laughs) with the way I present. But, um, oh, definitely. Like, I think that's also a big part of the culture, right? Because say in Asian culture, when you're being brought up, you're taught to kind of respect elderly, you respect kind of authority. And if you kind of, you know, go against what they're saying that's considered rude, that's not considered, you know, jamming and, you know, being in a fun kind of creative brainstorm session. So for the longest time, I was very, very, um, I'm just not confident in my work. I'm, I'm still kind of like that even to this day. Um, and you're right, like there, there's a fine line between being humble versus kind of being Um, I'm not confident I suppose and yeah I I think it just comes down to the way kind of we're brought up and kind of like you said right even when we did win awards I remember back in Asia it's kind of like yeah cool all right what's next what's the next award we can win because say when I was being brought up there's never like best is kind of like never a thing it's always like you can always do better even if you score like say 99 out of 100, it's not about the 99 that you get. It's about the one that you missed. So, Mm. (laughs) um, you know, you can kind of imagine how that kind of impacts self-esteem and confidence when it comes to like working as a creative, right? Like it's great because it kind of motivates you to constantly do better, but at the same time, you're always just like not particularly confident with the work and it, 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 It's really bad when it comes to, like, you trying to present your work because, like, obviously I think clients are more likely to buy a piece of work that they feel like you're confident in. Mm. Um, So that kind of balance is something that I also, like, constantly struggle with. (music) A burnt Christmas tree has been erected in Sydney's CBD. Made entirely of material collected from areas that have been affected by the fires.
1: Charred tree limbs, scorched bicycle, ruined fire alarms and other household debris. Reminding people how devastating the fires have been. Members of the public are encouraged to listen to an audio tour detailing people's experiences of the fire and donate to presents beneath the tree.
3: It's becoming a tragic symbol for this year's Christmas celebrations.
1: It on TV, and you feel so distanced from it. It kind of brings home what the landscape out there is, what that really looks like, and the people who are suffering.
2: We've had some great conversations here with some, you know, really fascinating guests about the idea or even the absolute reality of the benefit of being on the outside.
1: Hmm.
2: And I just want to ask you about fitting in enough to be heard or listened to? Like your opinion in a room, like, does that have some caveats with it, do you think, or are you listened to?
3: I think as an industry as a whole, it's gotten a lot better in terms of being more accommodating to different voices and people like different people's opinions and backgrounds. And, you know, that's kind of celebrated these days. Um, I would say when I first came to Australia about like four to five years ago I did feel like an outsider constantly Um, and what I remember when I first started in agency word in Australia there were quite a few times where you know like I would say something and it's just not considered or not heard and I would always blame myself and I would always think that oh it's because I don't understand the local culture it's because You know, obviously, I don't have the context, so maybe what I'm saying is wrong. But over the years, and after chatting with some other people, like and learning about almost like the culture of boys' club and you know the 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 old kind of culture in advertising in Australia, it wasn't fully my fault. Um, I'm not trying to like blame anyone here, but it's kind of like it was kind of nice to kind of understand that it's not fully my problem, and I'm not a bad creative. Like there were so many times where I felt like. I was a really bad creative because my ideas wasn't considered, but it was actually more so um, the context that I was in. Um, So, yeah, so I I definitely um, struggled a little bit with fitting in um, when I first came here. But, yeah, over the years, you know, like switching agencies and kind of being around people that are, like, super inclusive and, you know, like we talk everything through, it's just been a lot better and it just – it's, um, I'm just in a really good place now.
2: <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Graham had a conversation. Graham had recorded an episode with Andre Gray where there was um, really good conversation around this idea of microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the imposterous part of taking that differently is kind of like micro alienations,
3: mm-hmm. where there are
2: these small moments of being alienated rather than this one big moment.
3: Yes, it's, it's all really subtle things that you can't exactly pinpoint. And when you say it out loud, it sounds like you're just overthinking it. But every like all these little things add up and it does have an impact on people. So I think it's just really important for agencies to kind of like have this kind of culture and environment where no one's afraid to share their opinions and like, or be even judged about it. Like, I think we all know as creatives, a good brainstorm set, like there's no bad, there's no bad ideas in a brainstorm session, right? Like because a bad idea could turn into a good idea. And I feel like when people feel like they can't even share an idea that might be good or might be bad, that's when, you know, we don't really grow as an industry.
0: No, I mean that, that brainstorming thing, my goodness. (laughs) Again, when I first came here, I'm like, okay, let's have a brainstorm. And like, there was just a huge pile of tumbleweeds (laughs) <laughs> in the corner of, and I just you know it took me a while to get used to it because it was just like actually people have the ideas but the confidence no. to express them amongst everybody and also to not care if it's shit because you know that it's part of the process that's actually yeah it takes a long time to get that confidence it really does and it's not just you it's also your peers and the microaggression chat that um, Michael's talking about it was a, it's so enlightening to me because agency culture has a huge role to play and for so long the sort of subconscious element of it has been an excuse it's just of, like, well I never knew I didn't realize
1: mm-hmm.
0: and actually I think where, where people are getting to now is like well that actually that's a, not an excuse at all it's just like you didn't know but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to find out but what, one thing I did I did want to come back to was um you know the humbleness whilst it is wonderful within the creative industry especially it can be a real hindrance it seems like you've kind of to a degree got past that. Was there Mm. something that or a moment or a time that you can think about where it sort of, you did start to get past it, or was there something that helped you get past it?
3: I think it's really interesting because I think it has a lot to do with me having a creative partner, you know, a copyrighted creative partner, uh, When the two of us talk about ideas, it's almost like a safe space where we can just be ourselves and kind of just share shitty ideas and, you know, really talk through things and make sure that, okay, like both of us feel like this is good enough to kind of share. And I feel like having that kind of partnership helped me a lot. Like my partner, Jared Wicker, he's. He's, Amer- he's from America and like he's kind of like really good at presenting, you know, like really confident. Whereas I remember when we first worked together, he was just like, oh, just bring it up. Like just, just, you know, just share with the CDs. It's fine. And then I'm like, oh, I don't know. You can do it. Whereas now it's a lot more balanced because like he's kind of like given me a lot of the confidence. And especially because we're in this partnership, it's almost like like someone's got your back. I think compared to like, if I'm still kind of like, say working as an individual creative, I would just constantly be filled with like self-doubt and kind of like, is this good or is this not? And I think right now I'm at like how it's in company, which it's not just like me and him that has kind of this almost like safe bubble, but everyone as a creative department, as we're growing, like everyone's just like, wants the idea to be good and you can just talk to someone and be like, Hey, what do you think? Without feeling like, Oh, they're going to judge me for being dumb or like for not being good enough. So I think it's all these kind of external elements that's really helped me build my confidence. And, you know, again, it kind of comes back to that having a safe space to, to kind of be yourself and find out how you as an individual can fit in to this space and how each other, how everyone can kind of impact each other in a positive way. So yeah, it's, it, it, it is kind of that that's really helped me um be a bit more confident and a little less insecure
2: <laughs> that's um that's great to hear elaine and great to have you on the imposterous finally after thank talking you. about it for some time it's good to it's good to talk to you with thank your you new so role. much for having me thank you elaine
3: thank you guys so much it's really fun
2: The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at
1: the underscore 30. Is everybody back up in the building? It's been a minute, tell me how you're healing. But let see, yes, he's trying to bring out the fabulous Cause I give